The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. I want to say thank you today for all of you who participated in our gift drive. By God's grace, we're able to help 50, I think 55 families with Christmas this year, bring some light and joy to those families. Want to just praise God for that. Say thank you for how you reflect the generosity of Jesus as you give. And a big thanks to Tim Cartwright and his team for putting that together. Also, just want to say a big thank you to those of you who join us online, uh, who stick with us through live stream, those of you who come as well in this a time that is so unique for us. We're grateful. We know those of you who are watching online are with us in spirit, and we appreciate you being with us. We'll celebrate this Christmas Eve, 3.30 and 5.30 here. We'll be socially distanced just like we are today, do the same sort of protocols that we have done. We'll have overflow space as well, and that will be live streamed as well. And then before we get started, also want to mention to pray, and we'll just take a moment to pray. Some of you know our dear friend, Pavel Marchuk, who is a lead pastor of our sister churches in Ukraine, has planted six churches there as well in Belyat-Sarkov. He's preached here, um, been a dear friend to our church. Pavel is hospitalized with COVID, pneumonia, and high fever. So we want to pray for Pavel, pray that his wife Luba, who um, is there with him in Billet Sarkov, does not get sick. So let's take a moment to do that. Well, God, we thank you for Pavel Marchuk. We thank you for the sort of man he is in Christ, the sort of person he is in Christ, the sort of person that we might all aspire to be in Christ. Lord, we thank you for his family, for his life and ministry. And God, we thank you that you are a good and faithful savior that we can call on. And so we pray in the name of Jesus that you would touch his body and make him well, that you'd give strength to his lungs, that you would uh, make this virus leave his body, that you make his fever go away, that you'd protect Luba and their boys from sickness, and that your grace would abound to his family and his church in this moment, God. Lord, we thank you for a faithful Savior we can call on. We thank you for this season of Advent where we have anticipated with hope and joy and peace, and now we do with love. And God, we pray that the love of Christ would be ours and that we would be grateful as we consider the love of Christ this season. It's in his name that we pray, amen. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter nine, it's been a good series of Advent where we were privileged to hear from Tim and his dad and then from Pastor Dave talking to us about the peace of God that is ours in Christ and then last week from Tim again as we heard of the joy that is ours in Jesus and today we will talk about the love of God that we see expressed through the incarnation in a year where we really need to remember the love of God. It's a hard year. In fact, Time Magazine this last week says 2020 is the worst year ever. It's been a hard year. I don't know if I would say the worst ever when you think about the history of the world and humanity, but it's been really bad. Stephanie Zakarik, who wrote the essay for that cover story, says that this is the story of a year we'll never want to revisit. 
And perhaps our most debilitating threat this year was a sense of helplessness. It's been a hard year, a really hard year, no doubt. There's been disease, there's been death, there's been division, there's been pain, there've been harsh words spoken. But it's intriguing to me that every time there's a really hard year, whether it's because of the sin of humanity or the brokenness of creation as a result of the fall, that when we see the worst of brokenness, we also tend to see the best of humanity. We tend to see the image of God expressed through the people of God. And Isaiah 9 was written when Israel was having a pretty hard year. King Uzziah, national hero, had died. The Assyrian Empire is expanding throughout the Middle East and they will eventually take over Israel and exile is going to come to the people of God. They are a people walking in darkness. Now Isaiah 9 chapter 2, or 9 verse 2 rather, says the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoils. Then verse six, where we will concentrate today, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So today what we're going to do is just look briefly at what it means that to us a child has been born, what it means to us a son has been given, what it means that the government will be upon his shoulder, and then really hone in on these titles Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. See, this was written 2,700 years ago about the Christ child that would be born in Bethlehem 700 years later, and we find the goodness and beauty and truth of what should be for all humanity wrapped up in cloths in Jesus Christ as a baby. Unto us a child is born. See, in the incarnation, there's hope because God made his dwelling among us. The only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In the incarnation, there is joy because Jesus was like a light shining in the darkness. And when that baby was born, it pierced the darkness like the light that guided the way for the wise men because he came, this baby came to destroy the works of of the devil. The child being born brought us peace because he was punished for sins that belong to us. He gives us peace with God and peace with one another. And then this baby showed us the love of God and that he was delivered into the hands of sinful people so that we could be delivered from our sins. Unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. Jesus is the grace gift of God. It's by grace that we've been saved through faith and that not of ourselves lest anyone should boast. Jesus Christ, the son given, is the grace of God in human form 
who laid down his life for us. The son given is the savior of Israel that they were waiting for and ultimately the savior of all who hope in him from among all the nations. The son given is a friend who is closer than a brother. Now, can you imagine there are these little boys, three and four years old, playing in the dirt in Nazareth with this other little boy, and they're just old enough to hear their parents tell the stories of the Messiah who's going to come, and the Messiah who's going to come is right there with them playing in the dirt in Nazareth. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. He's gonna grow up to be an advocate with the father, a teacher who speaks like no one else has, a brother who shares in struggling with flesh and blood, a redeemer who will take away the curse of the law. And ultimately, he's gonna be the king that God promised that would show the never-ending, never-giving-up, never-stopping, always-and-forever love that God has for his people. See, the good news that Jesus Christ came, was born as a baby in Bethlehem, is undeniably historical fact. As one author says, it's not just a set of historical facts. It's a collection of present redemptive realities for us. It offered hope to the people of God in Isaiah. It's reality for us as we consider this incarnation. We need to know that this moment that happened so long ago in Middle Eastern history is incredibly important right here and right now. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. When I hear that, this phrase is just kind of rolled around in my mind this week. The government will be upon his shoulders. He's going to carry the kingdom. It's on him. This baby that's going to be born, this tiny baby that's so vulnerable, there is no medical help other than perhaps a midwife that they would have missed out on. It's the worst case scenario of a home birth. There are germs everywhere animal germs everywhere, it smells bad. And this is the sovereign Lord of the universe who's going to carry the kingdom. He rules over all. He's gonna grow up and show himself trustworthy as the scripture, the whole Old Testament said he would be. He's going to be faithful. He will show himself powerful enough through resurrection, wise enough. He will be present with his people, the one and only savior. And it really, really matters because we can tend to live, or at least at least I can tend to live with this sense that the kingdom of God really depends on me. That the kingdom maybe can only come when the voices of my opponents are squelched or canceled. When in reality, the gospel of the kingdom is something we declare and proclaim that has come in Jesus Christ and will fully come. That's our role. We're heralds of the gospel. Being the savior, being the Messiah, that's Jesus's role. You can walk through a year and you kind of, without saying it out loud, live like, well, the kingdom can only come when this, right? But he, he rules over all. The government will be upon his shoulders and really every government is upon his shoulders. And so, 
So some people who are in this room and some people who are watching at home, you've lived the last four years with kind of this implicit thought in your mind, how can the kingdom of God come when this guy is president? And some of you in this room and watching at home are about to live the next four years going, how can the kingdom of God come when this guy is president? And see, Jesus has never, ever, ever gotten off the throne. We're gonna continue to read in Isaiah in a moment and we'll read that his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And the kingdom of God comes because Jesus is Lord. And that's, that's not just true in the United States, that's true right now in Russia. Nothing can hinder the kingdom of God from coming and piercing the darkness because Jesus is sovereign over all. That's true in China, it's true in Ukraine, it's true in the United States. The kingdom of God comes when the church of God expresses the love of God and the grace and truth of God when we live as the people of God and he's carrying it all as the sovereign king. The one who can't stop, isn't shocked, not surprised, won't be overpowered. This is the one who's going to come, this baby. A child is born, a son is given, and he will carry the kingdom. And this child is given four titles to describe how the love of God will be expressed in the son that will be given that will show historical and biblical Israel and ultimately all the world that God has a never ending, never stopping, never giving up, always and forever kind of love. And it'll show God is good and wise and strong and kind. And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. When I saw that phrase in the text, I thought, huh, I know some counselors. In fact, I know a lot, so I couldn't call them all, but I called a few counselors that I know and just said, what does it mean to be a wonderful counselor? You've been doing this for a long time. What does it mean to be a wonderful counselor? And I got all kinds of answers that I think were all great, biblical, sound, wise. A counselor is going to get to the truth and speak to the truth if they're a wonderful counselor. And a counselor is going to stand with people, walk with people, have the wisdom needed for the moment. Courtney Tate, who's right here, Pastor Dave's wife, a couple of things that she said, one that led me down a trail to another thing about a wonderful counselor, and, and then just what she views a wonderful counselor as. I want to share you, in, in Proverbs, Isaiah, Jeremiah, the word counsel is combined with might or victory. So we've heard the phrase, if you've been in church a while, there's victory in an abundance of counselors. It's a, a military concept. But then also, Courtney said, a, a counselor comes alongside and bears the pain of those they care for right alongside them as a broken vessel who points to the true, wonderful counselor. See, that's what Jesus was going to do. The Messiah was going to do. He was going to come and bear the pain of the people of God right alongside them and then ultimately not just put the government on his shoulders, but their very sins on his shoulders in the form of a cross. He was going to be the wonderful counselor. And that's what we do when we counsel. We point we point others to the true, wonderful counselor. Another person said, I think you've got to tie it in to the Holy Spirit that Jesus described as well. In John 14, I'll ask the Father. He'll give you another helper, one like me, who will be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. 
Romans 8, the Spirit's going to help us in our weakness. We do not know how to pray. He will intercede for us like a wonderful counselor would. John 16, 7, I'm going to go away so this helper will come. In Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, we're told that this spirit will be like a seal from the Father, a guarantee to remind us that we are his. He's a wonderful counselor. And there's this aspect of being a wonderful counselor like counselor that we know. But then there's this other aspect that Courtney alluded to, and it's literally like a military strategist. So Thursday morning, I I and some other men at our church were meeting with a guy who just happened to be a military strategist. We we weren't meeting with him uh, uh, about that, but he used to write speeches for colonels and generals. And so I just said, when you think about wonderful counselor, one of the kind of the phrases in the Hebrew would be, he has what it takes to win the war, right? So when you think about a guy who has what it takes to win the war, and how that might be connected to wonderful counselor in Isaiah chapter nine. What do you think? And his answers, he gave me four answers I just thought were great. Number one, he knows who the enemy is and how strong he is and where and how he will likely strike, which is really, really a good thing to know, right, if you're in war. Because for instance, if you think the enemy is flesh and blood and they're striking on Facebook and you need to strike back, you would be mistaken, See, the battle we fight is not against flesh and blood. Jesus knows that. It's against the rulers, the authorities, the principalities of this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil. He knows who the enemy is and when and how he's likely to strike. Second, he knows the vulnerabilities of those he's working with. He knows his strengths. He knows how to rest. He knows how to prepare for battle. And I love this. He can see the battlefield and he can see through the confusion of battle. Aren't there a variety of ways in which 2020 feels like the fog of a battle? It's hard to see or know what's next. But there's the, the now risen Savior. We're anticipating his return. He, he's at the right hand of the Father and he sees above the battlefield, above the confusion and he can guide the way and he's given us his word to understand so that we know how to walk. He's given us his spirit to help us understand the word then a wonderful counselor can support the mission with sound logistics, food, fuel, ammo. He nourishes us and he sustains for the duration of the battle. And in Jesus Christ, the grace of God, the love of God that came to us in the form of this baby can do just that. The love of God will sustain us. He's a wonderful counselor and then he is mighty God. Now Israel would have been blown away by this statement. He's mighty God, so God is going to come. This child who's going to be born is going to be God? They wouldn't have understood that that there would be a triune God, the Trinity that we understand. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, this great mystery of the Trinity, one being, one in essence in nature, in three persons with distinct personhood, God the Father is God, we affirm. God the Son, Jesus, is God, we affirm. And God the Spirit is God, we affirm. But God the Son is not the Father. He is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father or the Son. They are three in one in this unique, mysterious, beautiful way. And so this baby that came into this makeshift stable in a cave behind an inn that was too full was fully human 
and fully God. He's wonderful counselor. He's mighty God. He's everlasting father. Now, when I read everlasting father, honestly, I think, well, that's a little bit confusing, Chase, because you just said there's a trinity and the son is not the father. If he's not the father, how can he be the everlasting father? And that, that could be a, a theological conundrum, but I think it's just more really like a riddle that's solved in Jesus. The rabbis knew they were looking for riddles that the prophets had spoken about the Messiah and they were trying to figure them out. See, we look back at this text through the lens of resurrection. They were looking forward through the lens of anticipation. So number one, I think we've got to understand the context. We as Westerners look for precision. They might've been looking for concepts. And then I think number two, we hear what the word does say about Jesus. Hebrews one, verse two says that he's the representation of God, the exact representation of the father, that he is the radiance of his glory. John 1.18 says, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who's at the Father's side, that's Jesus. He explains what God is like. You wanna know what the Father is like. You look to the Son and you can see exactly what the Father is like. In John 10, they wanted to kill Jesus because he said, I and the Father are one. See, they were looking for this riddle that would be solved. So God said, I'll come and I will shepherd my people. So when Jesus stood up in the temple and said, I'm the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, they should have known, oh, this is the one who would come. I will send my servant David. When people cried out, son of David, who was healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, they should have known the Messiah had come. I and the Father are one. He's got this everlasting Father, perfect unity, intra-Trinitarian love. And I think all those things are true, but I think more what's going on in the text is just a colloquialism. And I think that because of a trip I took about 11 years ago, I was the new missions pastor at TBC, had been on the job for a short time, and I went to this nation represented right here, in the Arabian Peninsula, and I was there with a, a, a TBCer who was going to become a missionary. I was there with him and Dr. Mike Pocock, who at that time was the chair of the missions department at Dallas Theological Seminary, and we were scoping out this place to see what opportunities there were at a hospital this missionary would end up working at. And one day, the, the prospective missionary had meetings, and so Dr. Pocock and I, we were in the cultural center of the country third largest city of the country, and there was a museum there, and the muse museum was there, and it was the former home of the sheikh who really joined this country together. Literally, this guy was like the George Washington of the country, so we're gonna go check out his home, learn a little bit about the culture, learn about the history, and we're in this museum, and something really unique happened. Four young ladies who were covered and veiled came up and spoke to us, which just doesn't happen very often at all in this country. Ladies speaking to men or men speaking to ladies that they're not married to. But these four young ladies, they told us they were university students and they wanted to find out why people were coming to the museum. And so he said, well, we're here really to learn more about the sheikh. And we said that we were there to learn about the sheikh. Their eyes lit up and they all said, he's our father. 
And I went, well, good morning, your nobleness. We're meeting princesses of this nation, like the royal family. I kind of wanted to say I'm Chase Bowers of the East Texas Bowers. Maybe you've heard of me, Deweyville, I don't know. We were just, they were so kind, we couldn't believe. Well, then we go across a really nice coffee shop right across the way, and we go across there, and these young men come up and say, hey, how are you doing? Great, what are you guys doing here? We were just at the museum. Oh, right across the street. Yeah, what were you here for? We were learning about the shake, and these guys say, oh, he's our father. Well, good afternoon, your highness. Like we have hit the lucky day, right? And I'm thinking, I'm gonna share Christ with the royal family. The whole nation's gonna be saved. This is going to be amazing. They hadn't heard of Deweyville either. It was really weird. So we go back, see the prospective missionaries. There are some long-term missionaries who have been there. And they say, how was your I said, it was amazing. We met the royal family. And they said, you met the royal family? What? Like the royal family. And I said, yeah, absolutely. And so they said, well, how do you know? We said, well, obviously we know the sheikh had lots of wives. Well, we're at the museum. We meet four young ladies. They tell us they're his daughters. And then we meet four guys. They're four of his sons. Like we could have met the crown prince for all we know. And he kind of snickered and said, I'm, I, don't, I don't think you met the royal family. And I said, no, I don't know if you understand I said, your highness, and they didn't correct me, and I did what you do as an American if people can't really understand you well in another nation. I spoke really slow and loud, your highness. And he said, listen, listen I mean, I'm, I'm glad you had a good day, but every, all the locals call that sheikh their father. And I was like, no, come on, no way. We met the royal, if you can, I mean, you don't know. It could have been, right? And he goes, hey, you see that guy sitting at that table right over there? I said, yeah. He goes, hey, why don't you go ask him what he knows about the shake? And so I got up and walked over and said, hey, what do you know about the shake? Oh, he's my father. Uh Oh. Now I've met nine members of the royal family. No. See, Israel, they spoke about their patriarchs. They spoke about their kings in this way. Their father Abraham, right? We're Abraham's children. And then they spoke of their father David, who was this great king. They were looking for his son to come. And so when we read about Jesus, he's everlasting father. He's the king whose kingdom isn't going away. Abraham died and slept with his fathers. Acts 13 tells us that David died and slept with his fathers. But this king, when he dies, he's gonna raise from the dead and it's an everlasting kingdom. So he'll be everlasting father. He's the king you're looking for. That's what Isaiah is telling the people that this child born and this son given, he is going to be the king that God promised. This wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father is coming as a baby. And most of the people are looking for a warrior. We're reading a story with our kids this year that's kind of leading up to the birth of Christ, this fictional story about Advent, and there's a young boy who hears that the Messiah might come, and so he's, he says, we should look for him tomorrow, and the guy who's kind of teaching him says, well, he hasn't been born yet, and he goes, born? The Messiah's not gonna be a baby. He's gonna be a warrior. 
And so his teacher says, well, every warrior is a baby before they're a warrior, but by the way, he's coming to bring peace. He's not going to deliver us from Rome. He's going to deliver us from our sins. And still little boys wandered through Jerusalem and walked through Capernaum and they meandered through Nazareth wondering when Messiah would come and crush the oppressors from Rome. There would have been families walking right by or passing the other way as Joseph and Mary on the donkey, the baby in her womb, are making their trip to Bethlehem. Fathers telling their sons about the Christ who would come even as the love of God in his mother's womb passed right by. Maybe it was the dust on the trail, maybe it was the animal smells, maybe it was the sound of the crowds, but they didn't see the love of God right there in their midst. That's not, that's not true of everyone, though. Some people knew, they had read and they understood Isaiah 9, that a baby would be born, a child would be given. The wise men knew. Simeon in the temple, he knew. Anna She knew, the shepherds found out, they knew, hey, Herod knew. And by the way, just as I say Herod knew, Christmas is this time where we rejoice, we celebrate. It's kind of strange when you think about it, though, how we celebrate in culture, because there are people who don't know Jesus that celebrate Christmas. And I I would just pause just to say, hey, If you don't know Jesus, there's not really a lot to celebrate right now because he has come and you think you're the king of your life and he wants to take your throne away and invite you into a much better kingdom and give you a much greater reason to celebrate because he doesn't just want to take your throne away. He wants to take your sins away and only he can. He's the everlasting father. And then he is the Prince of Peace. This great counselor who has what it takes to win the war and who is mighty God, he knows that the war is won through making peace by the blood of his cross. His power is wielded through surrender and peace is won through his own death. Writing about this Prince of Peace who had come, the Apostle Paul said, but now in Christ Jesus, he's writing to Gentiles, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace. He has made us both one, Jew and Gentile, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in rules and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. There were the Jews and there were the Gentiles. And in the church, as we come together to celebrate this Messiah, we celebrate that he's made one new man, one new person, one new people in place of the two, so making peace that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in the spirit to the father. So then you're no longer aliens and strangers. See, there was a time when, when the Israelites would read about a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace, and they would think that was just for them. And the Gentiles might hear it and they might think that's just for the Jews. 
but we're no longer strangers and aliens. He is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father for all from all nations who would believe in him. We're fellow citizens, saints, and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. See, when you hear cornerstone, that's what the house is built on. It's strong, it's steady, it's not going to be moved. You don't think a baby who's crying because he, he has to have milk to sustain his life. The most vulnerable of vulnerables is the cornerstone, God and flesh, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He is our peace so that together in community as brothers and sisters, we are his place. We're the dwelling place of God. So Isaiah tells us that this child born and son given didn't just carry the government on his shoulders, he carried the sins of the world on his shoulders and he is for us wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace and this love expressed through him, verse seven says, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom he will establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of God for 700 years was building toward this baby being born that would accomplish the mission that Israel had failed at. It's the salvation of the world wrapped up in cloths. He's a wonderful counselor, he's the mighty God, he's the everlasting father, he's the prince of peace and the love of God has brought us peace and given us hope and joy in this season. See, here's the reality that this wonderful counselor came to us and became like us so that we could come to him in all of our unfaithfulness, in all of our instabilities, with all of our weakness, with all of our guilt, with all the things that we'd really love to hide but just can't. We can come because the Savior came. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the child that was born. We thank you for the son that was given and we thank you, God, that the government is upon his shoulders and he indeed does carry the kingdom. We thank you that he's a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace and his government will increase and never end. And we thank you that he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. We thank you that he was smitten by God and afflicted, wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. We thank you, God, that, that though we like sheep had gone astray, turned everyone to his own way, you laid upon him the iniquity of his all and you did it on purpose. You sent Emmanuel who is God with us, so Lord, help us. Help us this Christmas to come to Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.